so when we look at the Holocaust, uh, obviously, when you guys watch Schindler's List, there's a couple things like in the movie that I'll be referencing in the slideshow because they they go through the process of this obviously without the timeline. Uh, so the the timeline is a little different when you look at it from an objective viewpoint. The uh, early on the Nazis obviously were very anti-Jewish and that was part of their party platform, but their party platform really focused heavily on jobs for the German workers. Uh, that's part of the reason that they combined with the socialists before they took over. And so um, in 1933, they do a couple of things that clearly are job related things. So they make it harder for Jews to own businesses. Uh, they make it impossible for Jews to own land. Um, by 1935, they already have a national health insurance um, and national health care. So they're not Jews are not allowed to be part of the national health care system. And then um, by the time you get to April of 39, that's really the first time you see kind of the movie show up for uh, us because when they're moved to ghettos, they've already been taken out of the countryside and in April, they're forced into the ghettos. Now, at this point in time, Germany is a lot bigger than it was uh, just a year earlier. So greater Germany is pretty much close to the continent at this point. Um, they haven't quite taken uh, France yet, but Poland um, is going to be part of greater Germany, or at least part of it, because Russia has part of it at this point. And if you were an older uh, kid you were forced, older kid or adult, you were forced to wear the, the star. And so you had the star of David that was kind of an identifying factor. And if you didn't wear it, you better hope that you looked uh, significantly different. Um, a lot of Jews from mixed uh, races or mixed parents didn't, like in the movie, they had the one girl, it's Regina Perelman, who actually didn't look as Jewish and traditionally Jewish. And so remember the Nazis are very into uh, genetics and they had this whole like grid of how to figure out if someone was Jewish or not Jewish. It was a very incredibly racist, but also a way for them to try to monitor what they were doing. Um, and the other thing you see is that they start this kind of really heavy um, indoctrination process where they're using already there, there's an underlying racism that's been there for a long time and so they're utilizing that in their move towards scapegoating the jews in germany and in greater germany and in europe so as we saw earlier with the hitler youth you have this program that's designed to teach german children how to be nazis but then they're also teaching them how to be racist um and so they have a um, books made like this one here called Der Giftpilz, which is uh, this book about how the Jews were this fungus that you had to rid society of and they would just kind of pop up everywhere and you couldn't control them and whatnot. So, and it's really sad because what you're looking at is basically children's literature um, and whatnot. As far as American reaction and really world reaction, there's very little reaction early on. Um, except for some Americans start to have this repulsion to the uh, stuff that Hitler's doing in 
Europe. So um, what I would say is that early on, wait, who's got the sound in the background? I got to mute. Um, early on, there's a lot of uh, people in even in the United States that are very anti Hitler, um, clearly not anti German, because there were a lot of German Americans that still lived in the United States. Um, many of them went back to Germany, but many of them stayed. So, you know, you have this ironic propaganda thing, right? Where you're, if you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. Um, obviously in the days that we're living in right now, I'm sure at some point someone's going to have a couple of propaganda pieces you guys will see on TV about, you know, if you go outside, you're, you're making Corona better or something. I don't know. It'll be very similar. Um, but that's basically the, the concept here, right? Um, as far as the Hitler youth, you guys already know, uh, the indoctrination is really strong. It starts really early in the Nazi regime and goes all the way through the war. Um, they start making, you know, flyers and pamphlets and Goebbels starts making movies about how the Jews are going to take over society and whatnot, um, or how they already have done that. Um, and it becomes kind of the, the opening of the door for legal anti-Semitism. The guy who is in charge of what they diagnosed as the Jewish problem was Himmler, who is basically the second in command behind Hitler. Um, he's easy to remember because his, his name sounds like Hitler. And Early on, they had some plans. With the, the Madagascar plan was this idea that they could ship all of the Jews off of Europe and essentially just drop them off in Madagascar um, to start their own colony or something like that. The, the problem, of course, is they're in the middle of a war, so this kind of movement is pretty impossible. Um, if you're going to... I mean, we know the numbers. There was about 6 million Jews that died in the Holocaust, so... About, I believe there was something like 10 million Jews in, in Europe at the time. So if you're going to try to transport 10 million people, you just don't have the resources. So that's not going to be a plan they're going to use. Um, and then they eventually will go from, okay, we're going to move people out of the cities and into the, or into ghettos. So basically forced immigration or emigration out of the countryside into the ghettos. And then they go from the ghettos to concentration camps. And then eventually, by the time we talk about the final solution, that's 1942. So that's well into the war at this point. Um, some of the, f yeah. During, no, just during the war. Like, they, they're, they're trying to come up with ways in which they can, I guess, I don't know, in some minds maybe humanely do something, but it, this is the problem with their racism is that they don't really see saving the Jews or, or giving them something like that a, a necessary thing. So even though it's something they talked about, it's not really going to be, I, I don't think seriously talked about by anybody. Um, so Kristallnacht is the first significant act uh, against the Jews that was a violent act. Um, and this is where it starts getting really weird. Um, the Jews 
were targeted specifically synagogues, businesses, and whatnot. And it's Kristallnacht means night of broken glass. But what happens is the Nazis basically, after this rampage that they allow to happen on Jewish businesses and synagogues, they specifically blame the Jews for it happening and then fine them for the damages caused to their own businesses during Kristallnacht. So this is where this kind of, well, it's your fault that you were Jewish and you owned a business or you had a synagogue or something like that. And so obviously it's a bit backwards the way that things happen, but it gets reported in, in the New York Times and um, becomes, again, a bit of a situation where the United States and other countries are looking from the outside in thinking, okay, well, clearly things are not going very well. Um, but again, there's a, a concept that a lot of people don't really know the extent to which the Nazis were willing to go. Um, a lot of them knew they were anti-Semitic, but they didn't know that they were doing things that would be so horrifying that, you know, that is the Holocaust. So um, we know a little, but not a lot. As far as, like we said earlier, I'm going to go through the course of the ways that they moved the Jews. First, the first solution was just to to relocate them um, into ghettos. These ghettos had their own money systems. They had their own uh, guards, which were mostly Jewish guards employed by the Nazis. Remember the guy in the movie that they kind of made fun of a bit? Many, many of the Jews kind of made fun of for, you know, you look like a clown. And so, and he's like, oh, I'm just smart. Well, a lot of the guys like that were really kind of ostracized by their peers because, you know, clearly if you're working for the Nazis, a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Like, this is... Um, kind of ridiculous. And if you're a Nazi, this kind of reinforced your racism in a way because one of the kind of ideas that they talked about was how the Jews would do anything to survive. And so they're like, see these, you know, the Jews will even guard each other and keep them under our control. And, you know, no other race would do that, which is ridiculous because anyone would, to speak for an entire race on that kind of thing is kind of ridiculous, but it is ridiculous. Um, so Warsaw was the biggest of the ghettos. They had 400,000 people in Warsaw from 39 to 41. And this is in a relatively, I mean, a really small area. Obviously, disease was really bad. So if, if a disease happened, um, it spread really quickly because people are in really close spaces. Um, and then once they liquidate the ghetto, which you guys saw in the movie um, after Goethe gave his speech about the kind of ending of history for the Jews in Europe... Um, they remove them and, and at that point they're sending them to concentration camps and there's a couple of death camps so the death camps are bigger um, and more mechanized for that uh, although some of the smaller camps also have you know, ovens and things like that but that was mostly for cremation of bodies that, that died in the work because the work was incredibly difficult um, Auschwitz is the biggest one I would say, you know, knowing a couple of different camps is probably good. Auschwitz, Dachau is a good one to know. Um, knowing that Auschwitz-Birkenhau is kind of a combo camp, it's it's a really big area. I wish I had my book, but it's at school, and apparently I'm not supposed to go to school to go get stuff, so I can't really show you. Um, but it, I, I have some pictures here from Dachau, so you'll be able to see that later. Uh, this is Greater Germany at the time. Um, and as you can tell, a lot of this, the concentration camps came from Eastern Germany and then went back. So this is Dachau down here next to Munich. Um, so they had some Jews from like Vienna that would come 
over. Uh, they have Buchenwald, which is a little bit north. And then I don't remember where Dachau is, but Berlin had one real close to Berlin on the outskirts. A, a lot of Berliners or uh, people from Munich, Munich didn't really know what was going on because a lot of the camps are kind of out in the countryside. We'll talk about that a little, little when we talk about um, the uh, Dachau specifically. So when they finally get to the final solution, it's getting to the end of the war. Um, the Germans are not doing as well as they were earlier, and they're already in a situation where they feel like, okay, we're going to be tried as war criminals probably already. Um, and so they try to just basically exterminate or create mass genocide. Um, th this picture here at the bottom is actually, I believe this is an American soldier who comes across one of these empty train cars or not empty train cars where a lot of times towards the end of the war they were just shipping people off to death camps but the shipment never got there um, for a variety of reasons like sometimes the train operators found out that the Russians were coming and so they just stopped the train and got out um, but the people obviously didn't so they left them in the train cars so a lot of times after the war they actually found them um, in the situation that they had been put in and obviously being in really close conditions, really hot, um, people died really quickly. The methods are vast. Uh, I would say the most common one is actually mass graves. Um, the ovens are more, when you talk about ovens and the, um, gas chambers, that's, that's more Auschwitz type stuff where they were Auschwitz is just a big killing machine. Um, <clears throat> and this is what Auschwitz looks today. You guys saw Auschwitz in the movie because they actually used that set. Um, and they had two of these like rooms next to each other. One they actually did use for, uh, gassing and another room that they used for, um, washing and actually like cleaning people before they were working. So Auschwitz is a really big camp. Um, it, I can't remember how big it is, but it's, large. I wish I had a picture of it, but again, I don't have my stuff with me here. You, yeah, but I don't want to show you something that's not exactly, I don't know, I could, but you can look it up. You guys will see the Holocaust Museum stuff. Um, this is a picture of the American soldiers telling the Germans what happened, because a lot of times what was happening, and I used to show part of Band of Brothers called um, Why We Fight, which is the, there's one episode, I think it's episode eight in the Band of Brothers series where the soldiers come across a camp out in the middle of nowhere and they run back into town to get, because some people are still alive, they run back to town to get um, food and water and then they realize that they can't feed the people because people were starving to the point where if they ate too much, like their stomach would explode. So they had to like, slowly feed them so that they wouldn't eat too much. Um, and it becomes this really kind of sad moment where a lot of these soldiers for the first time realize that maybe we were actually doing a good thing. Like this was such a tough war and then they didn't really know why they were there and what the point was. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we did something that was good. Um, and a lot of the Germans at the time were not really believing them. Um, there was a lot of people that actually just denied it completely. And so what the what we did after the war and the Allies did after the war is we forced 
the Germans to come and help clean out the death camps so that they actually had an experience with it. So they couldn't deny that it happened. So it became um, like in Germany right now, it's illegal to deny that the Holocaust happened. Um, the German citizens were forced to kind of come in and go, look, you guys are going to clean this thing out. You're going to bury these people properly. Um, you know, they unearthed a lot of mass graves and then buried people where they should be buried um, or how they should be buried. And it, it, again, it was a way to kind of force, not the blame necessarily, but that guilt needed to be shared with the German people so that they didn't have this kind of thing happen again. Um, and it, again, so that they couldn't deny that it happened. Because again, if they didn't do this, it, it's very possible that a lot of German citizens to this day would just say, eh, yeah, it's a fabrication. They're lying about how much it was and that kind of thing. So I think that it, it's one of those things that actually had to happen. Um, this is President Eisenhower, who's probably one of our um, most well-regarded presidents in the early or the mid portion of the 20th century. Uh, and this is him kind of walking through one of the camps. I'm not sure if this is Auschwitz or not, but this is one of the bigger camps. And so he got a chance to actually see what was going on um, and how uh, the Americans were going to have to deal with helping the Germans rebuild after the war was over. Um, you guys are going to go through some Holocaust Museum stuff online, so I have some stuff posted for you, but um, I'm going to quickly go through Dachau with you. This uh, this was the first concentration camp made. It's just outside of Munich, so it's obviously in Germany. Um, it's mostly political prisoners. There's some Jews that were there, but not as many Jews as there were other dissidents and political prisoners. Um, the translation to what's on the fence. So this is what happens when you, you walk down this um, kind of open forest area. And then when you get to the end of the forest, there's a sign that you kind of look to your right. And it says, Arbicht macht frei, which means the work makes you free, which is so kind of haunting in a way because it's just, it starts you with a lie in a, in a way. Um, I have a, a video, this is from my iPhone, so sorry, uh, but this is what the actual camp uh, looked like. And every hour this thing would, um, this bell would go off, but you can kind of see how big it was. A lot of the barracks are actually shut down um, now, obviously, but <clears throat> they left a couple of the barracks up in the front. I'm standing kind of right in the middle of the camp, um, but it's big. It's probably... I would guess about two times the size in Nevada High School as far as just total landmass, um, including the sports, the sports facilities. So it's a pretty good area, pretty pretty big size area. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'll post the podcast to Google Classroom and I'll put it on the website. Yeah, um, I'm not going to edit it though, so it'll just be straight. Yeah, I'll I'll repo I'll repost it, but Zach posted it in the um, chat also. Okay. Um, so this is uh, when you walk through Dachau, you go to the back, and there's an area that they did the the executions, and that's where this is right here, and then. Um, the crematorium looks like this. So this was the original one on the left. 
um, which was not big enough. So they had to build a second one, which was bigger. Um, and, you know, when you... So these are, I would say, about the size of like my classroom is this one on the left. And that's the first crematorium they had. The second crematorium is about double that size. Um, and that was built later on in the war. Um, and they're right next to like a mini gas chamber. It's not real big, but it's a little one, um, which was also used as like a shower. Um, now they have uh, this, they have a couple memorials in there. And one of the things they did allow the prisoners to do is like every Sunday or Saturday, they were allowed to go to a service. So they were allowed to go to, I think there was a Lutheran um, church there. There, I can't remember all the different denominations, but you could like go in and actually go to church while you were in this concentration camp. And there was a, one synagogue, one Lutheran church, and I can't remember the other one. But um, I was sitting in, I believe, the Lutheran church, and they have this little memorial here that you can see on the bottom right of the just a little rose um, with the uh, candles lit. And I will say it's one of the, as far as reflection goes, if you ever get a chance to go to one of the concentration camps, I would highly recommend going and just kind of sitting in them and, and kind of getting the feeling of what, what people were there might be feeling as well. Um, as far as what happens after the war, uh, the German leadership is the one who is going to be held responsible and not soldiers generally, unless the soldier was um, directly responsible. So, for example, like if you were being, if you were under the orders of someone else and you were killing people in concentration camps or something like that, but your leader was the one telling you to do it, generally you weren't brought up on Nuremberg trial stuff. It was usually people that were kind of the mid-range. Now, most of the Nazi high command ended their lives right at the end of the war. So they are kind of out at this point. Um, Goethe, yeah. And, and um, Goethe was, I believe he was just hanged uh, kind of quickly after the war and didn't make it to the Nuremberg trials. The only guy who made it to the Nuremberg trials from the high command was this guy, Goering, um, which ironically, he wasn't directly involved with the Holocaust portion. But while he was in prison, he was actually, um, he actually found a way to end his life with the help of someone else. They brought in like a, a cyanide pill and he took that before he was even uh put on trial so they're one like star wit uh, start not star witness but star um criminal isn't really going to be held responsible at least in not in court um what's sad is only one of the people that was actually in the nuremberg trial expressed remorse of any kind most of the other ones were just kind of so indoctrinated that it was kind of without remorse that they're killed um the death toll is big uh, there was a, like I said, about 10 million. These are rough numbers that were in the actual Holocaust situation in Europe. 6 million died, um, which is just above 60% of the Jews in Nazi controlled Europe. Um, and of the 10 million, 10, 8 to 10 million that died in the Holocaust, 6 million of those were Jews. So clearly there's a lot of people that weren't Jewish that were also kind of targeted by the Germans as, as being less than 
desirable in their system. Um, I also put in here some numbers of other genocides in the 20th century. I think obviously the Holocaust is the one that most people remember. Um, the Armenian genocide, one and a half million Turks died. Um, Armenians died in Turkish control, which they still deny to this day. Um, Stalin killed seven to 10 million Ukrainians with the Ukrainian famine. Um, I'm going to have to probably do a Stalin um, lecture along with the beginning of the Cold War after we finish up. This week, I'm going to do the Holocaust. And then uh, after this Holocaust portion, you guys are going to do on Wednesday the atomic bomb stuff. Um, probably the rest of this week probably will finish up the end of the war. Um, you have Rwanda and then Darfur. So obviously, genocide is not exactly a new concept, nor is it something that... Is, has gone away completely. Um, we will talk about the Berlin airlift, yeah. Um, why am I getting calls? Okay. Uh, so what you're going to do, let me explain to you the Holocaust assignment, and then you guys will have today and tomorrow to do that. Um, and then, like I said, once we finish up the Holocaust stuff, um, you guys will do uh, the atomic bomb, the end of the war, um, that kind of stuff the rest of the week. So um, the learning target for this is explain the cause and effect of the Holocaust and its impact on marginalized groups in Europe. So obviously this includes people that are not just Jewish. It can also include other groups. Um, you're going to pick an online museum. So there's two that I've linked here for you. Uh, one is the U.S. online museum and then the other one is the World Holocaust site. So both of those are good sites that you can go to. Um, and you're doing an annotated bibliography. So if you haven't done an annotated bibliography before, um, the way that you source it is pretty simple. You just do author, title, publisher, place, this whole thing right here. Um, and when you, when you source this, you want to make sure that um, you just right-click the website at the end and that's the easiest way to make sure that I have the right information. And then you're doing a one, par one paragraph about how it directly responds to the prompt. So explain the cause and effects of the Holocaust and its impact on marginalized groups. So what I might do, what if I were you, what I might do is put in the first one, maybe some of the stuff that caused the Holocaust or the early portion of the Holocaust where um, groups are being kind of marginalized or businesses are being taken away or their rights are being taken away. Um, a second one about the actual uh, places that they were, so Auschwitz or Dachau or one of the other camps, and then maybe a third source that's about kind of the results of the Holocaust and or maybe things that were done afterwards, so like Nuremberg type stuff. So, um, And so you do three of those. So it's three paragraphs um, about three different places. So when you go to these Holocaust museum sites, um, you get to pick what you're interested in. So if you're interested in, um, you know, on Anne Frank or, uh, children in the Holocaust, uh, homosexuals and their persecution, like you can kind of pick and choose what your specific topic is going to be, um, and then go through it that way. Um, Yeah, that's fine. So you, you're when you do the source, like let's say you pick, um, 
children. So as far as what you're sourcing, you can just source this website as your um, for your annotated bibliography. As far as an author goes, the website doesn't have a specific author. So what you would do instead was either take the interview as your source. So if you want to watch the interview, then you could use the interview as a source if you want. Um, but how you do it is up to you because there's there's quite a bit of um, it, it's quite of a wide wide range as far as what you're interested in. So if you're more interested in, in kids or you're more interested in this marginalized group or that marginalized group, then you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do. <coughs> um, hey, <coughs> all right. Let me go back to. Uh, Does anyone have questions for me? Yeah, I'll do the tests online. So um, I'll be giving you <clears throat> the same kind of info as, as I would do in class. Um, like today's lecture is actually relatively short because I'm not doing um, a bigger unit. The Holocaust is something that we've already kind of looked at with Schindler's List, so I can kind of use that. Um, I would say the next one on the atomic bomb is probably about the same length and then you guys will have a assessment but I would say your assessment's going to be next uh, Monday um, so we'll finish uh, today and the rest of this week the holocaust and the atomic bomb um now the atomic bomb has has in it an essay, so <clears throat> it's very possible that I'll use that as part of your assessment. Um, but yeah, any other questions I can answer for you? If it, is anyone, um, I'll do them three about three times a week. So <clears throat> I I mean I'm podcasting this right now, so. I'm literally going to upload the Zoom podcast to my website. I'm going to try to do 9 o'clock, yeah. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. No, I want you to use three from the online Holocaust Museum. Yeah. Where's my... Oh, there we go. How can I just look at you guys and not the thingy my bomb? Oh, I have to stop the share? Is that what it is? There we go. Okay, so now you're back to Zoom, right? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, that's a that's a bit of a loaded question. I think that uh, it's very possible it would be longer than that. 
I don't know though. Um, hey, how's it going? Who is that? Who's talking to me? I know, but I can't see you. Oh, hey, Ben. How are you? I'm swell. Um, yeah, so anyone that just jumped in, I'll do this at 9 o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and try to just get it done within an hour, and then I'll send you guys off with something to do um, separate, so... All right, I'll see you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, just post them to Google Classroom and I'll try to answer them as quick as I can. But All right. All right, later guys. Have a good one. See ya.